0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning. I have the privilege of introducing Sean Martin. Sean is going to bring the word this morning. Sean is on staff with Leadership Resources International. Um, and he has done ministry in Ireland, Canada, New Mexico, and now around the world, based out of, uh, with Leadership Resources International. So I'm grateful you're here, Thank excited you. to, to hear from the Word of God through you. We asked Sean to, uh, to bring a truth about who God is that will anchor us as we begin the Advent season. It can be a very busy season, and so we wanted something that we can reach back to and hang on to and, and, and trust and rejoice in about Jesus. Uh, as we celebrate his arrival. So I want to pray for you, thank you. And, and hand the time over to you. Father, thank you that your, your people is so large, uh, that you are active around the world, and Sean here this morning is a reminder of that, both as one who uh, has done ministry in the past around the world and who is currently training pastors around the world. And we are one small part of your family, and yet you are here with us, and you are intimately involved in our lives, and uh, we, we are in awe of who you are, and we are grateful. Father, as Sean walks us through your word this morning, I ask that we as a congregation would be anchored in who you are, that throughout the celebration of, of your arrival, God, in human flesh, as we celebrate that, we ask um, that we would do that well. We want to exalt you, Christ. We want to walk well and point others to you throughout this season. So we ask that you would use your word this morning. Uh, to to accomplish that well.
1: In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. morning. It's a delight and a pleasure to be with you this beautiful morning in Sycamore, Illinois. This is my third time coming here, uh, first time in the snow. Uh, I live in the city of Chicago and I must confess a bit of fear and trepidation last night when the snow kept coming down and the temperature dropped and the roads iced and I thought it's going to be an adventurous drive to uh, this wonderful church this morning. Thankfully, the roads are fairly clear, and I was early enough to get a cup of coffee and uh, and calm down and pray. So it's great to be here with you this morning. Our text, as you heard already, is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. So uh, that's what we'll be looking at. But before I do that, I just want to read another text. Just want to, You don't have to turn to it. I just want to read the opening verses of Hebrews, which I think captures some of the essence that Paul outlines uh, in the passage before us. This is from Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent To theirs, echoes of what happens in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. I'm going to read that for us again nice and slowly, and then I'll pray and ask for God's help and we'll dig in together. So turn again to Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your wonderful word incarnate, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are, as we are about to celebrate Advent and the grand miracle of his incarnation, that you remind us of your great love for us and your desire to reconcile us to you. And Father, we're reminded again this morning that the reconciliation has been made possible by the blood that your incarnate Son, Jesus, shed on the cross, making peace between you and us possible. We pray now that as we look at your word, you would enlarge our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, and fill us with awe as we look again at the cosmic Christ, the king of all creation who is supreme lord but is also our savior and we ask it in his name amen my brief to you uh, coming this week as jeff mentioned was to preach an anchor text something that we could hold on to uh, in the midst of advent and christmas and all that that brings the joys uh, the heartaches the busyness the solitude uh, the siren voice of our culture, all the things that crowd our attention. What's the anchor? And I want to ask you to begin, what is your anchor in life? Do you have an anchor? Is there something or someone that is an anchor for you in this life? The Oxford English Dictionary defines an anchor as a source of confidence or security. What is your source of confidence? Who do you look to or what do you look to for your ultimate security in this life? Another word for that is cornerstone. What is your cornerstone? I think this passage before us, these six little verses with about 120 very packed words, show us the one true anchor for this life. Jesus Christ, the King of all creation this passage verses 15 to 20 in colossians is about the person of jesus christ and the work of jesus christ and we see that his person is cosmic paul is going to show us that jesus is the cosmic king of all creation he rules the universe by the word of his power and not only that but he is the cosmic reconciler he is the one who threw his shed blood on the cross reconciles us to the father things in heaven and things on earth nothing is outside the realm and rule of jesus christ let's just spend a moment setting the passage in context what's going on in the letter of colossians well paul has a concern that the christians in Colossa grow in their maturity and in their christian confidence look with me at chapter 1 verse 9 Paul says so from the day we've heard we haven't ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might what Paul is praying for here for the Colossian Christians in a word is maturity. He wants them to grow in their Christian maturity. That's his opening prayer in the whole letter. Now put a body part there and turn to chapter 4, verse 12. Look at how the letter ends. Paul mentions Epaphras, who's a Colossian. And he says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Paul has this concern that the Colossian Christians will grow up. That they will become mature people. That they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will so they'll know how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that they'll live a life that's pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And Epaphras, Paul gives us this window of Epaphras on his knees, wrestling with God in prayer, struggling that his brothers and sisters at the church in Colossae would grow in their Christian maturity. So there's this struggle for maturity. He wants them to be mature and fully assured in Christ. Why is this Paul's concern? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. There it again. Struggle. Paul is struggling. What's the struggle? Verse 2, that your hearts would be encouraged. That you be knit together in love. To reach the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge. You see that again? Paul is saying, I'm struggling for you. That you will be fully assured. That you'll have all the knowledge you need to walk with Jesus Christ. That you will be mature. Now, why in Colossae? What's happening in this church that Paul has this particular struggle for them? This particular prayer for maturity and assurance in Christ? Well, he says that there are teaching, maybe not just outside the church, but inside the church, arguments that sound plausible, that sound on first hearing good, that are leading people astray. And so he gives three warnings. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. See, do it that no one takes you captive. The second warning is in chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you. The third warning is in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So that's the context for the letter. There's teaching in this church that is threatening to take the Colossians captive, that is passing judgment on them, that might disqualify them. And Paul is saying, this is my struggle. This is why the Gospels come to you. This is why I'm praying for you. This is why I'm sending a Epaphras to you. I want you to grow in maturity and wisdom and knowledge so that you will be fully assured in Christ Jesus. And no one can disqualify you. No one can judge you. No one can take you captive. That's what's going on in the church in Colossus. So again, the question what is your anchor? How do you stand firm with firm ground underfoot? I think that's what this book is about. Chapter two, verses six to seven are the summary verses for the whole book. As you receive Christ Jesus, so continuing him. The way in is the way on. Jesus is not kindergarten that you leave behind and move on as you move through elementary school and middle school and high school. Jesus is the way in, Jesus is the way on, from conversion to glory. As you received in him, continue in him. That's the big idea for the book of Colossians. The way in is the way on. So the Colossian Christians and us here at Kishwaukee today, we need an anchor, don't we? We need an anchor for our souls. The storms of life, death, tribulations, sicknesses, illnesses, disease our fight with sin, besetting sin, the siren sinner, uh, sounds of our culture. There's so many things vying for the attention of our souls. There's so many things we put our trust in. And this morning, this is a beautiful, refreshing reminder that the one and only anchor for this life is the person and work of Jesus Christ, the cosmic king. So our first point in this passage is this, verses 15 to 19. Christ is the cosmic ruler. Look again at verse 15. Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In that reading I just did from Hebrews, it says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. My brothers and sisters, this can be said about no one else in creation. He is the invisible image of the invisible God. What does this point to? This points to the incarnation. The power and the glory of God, the Father Almighty, has been made manifest in Jesus. It's why John in his gospel says, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, who's at his side, has made him known. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, what's that all about? it doesn't mean that jesus is created because it goes on to say that all things were created through him by him and for him so what does it mean to say he's the firstborn it's just a hebrew way of saying you're the heir a firstborn son in hebrew culture would be the heir of everything doesn't matter how many brothers and sisters there are if you're the firstborn the farm gets passed to you it's all yours and paul is saying about jesus that the entire created universe belongs to Jesus. That it is his inheritance. He's the heir of everything. It all belongs to him. Jesus can look at Pleiades, Orion, the stars, the galaxy, the planets, and he can say, it's all mine. Why? Because all things were created through him, by him... And for him, Jesus is the author of creation. He's the sustainer of creation. He's the goal of creation. That's why he is preeminent over creation. It's why he's the firstborn, it's why he's the heir. It all belongs to him. Does that take you back somewhere? It takes me back to Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created. Surely Paul's drawing our minds to that text, isn't he? You think back, who created the world by his word? The Father. And Paul's saying Jesus was right there at his side. All things were created through him, by him, and for him. He's co-eternal with the Father. He's co-creator with the Father. By Jesus, all things were created. It means that Jesus is the substance and foundation of all things. His reign is complete and comprehensive there is nothing outside of him he's king of kings and lord of lords he is absolutely supreme and he's absolutely sovereign and more than that it says that jesus is before all things and he holds all things together I've been trying all this week to think, how do you describe or illustrate what it means that he holds all things together? And I thought of glue, and I thought, well, glue's kind of crude when we're talking about Jesus. But I don't know what else to say. It's like he holds everything together. He's the substance that provides order and structure to the universe, and therefore to our lives as his creation. It also says, verse 18, that he's the head of the body, the church. So is not only Jesus the supreme king of creation, he's also the supreme king of the church. The head of Kishwaukee church is not Pastor Steve and the elders. The head of Kishwaukee Bible church is Jesus Christ. This is his church. You're his people. The elders and the deacons and the leaders and the pastors here are merely under shepherds of the shepherd Jesus. He is your head. He is the ruler and governor of this church. Why? Because, verse 18, he's the head of the church, just as he is the head of creation. And so just as Jesus can look at creation and say, I'm the heir of all this, it belongs to me, he looks at the church, he looks at you, and he says, you belong to me. You're my inheritance. I've purchased you with my blood. You belong to me. That's encouraging, isn't it? Jesus is the head of our church. And then Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 18 Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Again, it means that Jesus is the firstborn of a new humanity that God is creating in Christ. He's the first of many brothers and sisters who will share in Jesus' glorification and resurrection, and we will be glorified as he has been glorified, as he has been raised, those of us who have faith in him will be raised with him and will share in his new life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, isn't he? And through faith in him, we will share in that resurrection, we will share in that new life that he's creating us for. Do you see what Paul's doing here? What he's doing is he's making a connection between Christ as creator and Christ as redeemer. And he's saying that the material realms and the spiritual realms all come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the cosmic ruler. Everything is under his sovereign dominion. Look at how many times Paul uses the word all. Verse 16, by him all things were created. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, he's before all things. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. I think all happens six or seven times. It's Paul's way of saying Jesus is first. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is ruler, Jesus is king, Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sovereign. All things, all things, all things. He's first over creation, he's first over the church, he's firstborn from the dead. These verses are devastating and they're comprehensive, aren't they? Six little verses that say so much about him. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus adequate for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Is he sufficient? You think of all these verses and you think, why on earth would we look anywhere else? Why on earth would we look to someone else? But Jesus Christ, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one who is the firstborn of all creation, The one who by, through, and for all things were created. The one who is all over rulers and thrones and dominions and authorities. The one who is before all things. The one who sustains all things. The one who is the head of the church. The one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is Jesus adequate? Is he sufficient? to be your anchor. Well, if Jesus can sustain the universe, surely He can sustain little me. (laughs) If He can sustain the universe by the word of His power, surely He can sustain Kishwaukee Bible Church. Surely He can carry you from the womb to conversion to being dead and raised with Him in glory. Surely He can do that. Surely He's sufficient, isn't He? What happens when Simeon sees the incarnate King Jesus present in the the temple. Do you remember? Simeon is led by the Spirit waiting for the consolation of Israel. He looks at Jesus. And you can just imagine his excitement, can't you? This is him. So what does he do? Simeon comes over to Mary and Joseph. He picks up baby Jesus in his arms and it says he looks at him. And he says, Father, your servant can now depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he says about Jesus, isn't it? Almost unbelievable what is believable. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Simeon, led by the Spirit of God, sees who Jesus really is. The coming King. And it's why Simeon then looks at Mary and he says, this child is appointed for the rising and fall of many and mary is speechless (laughs) and she treasures all these things in her heart things that can be said about no one else except the cosmic ruler the cosmic king jesus hardly a helpless babe is he But if this wasn't enough, Paul has something even more breathtaking to say. For not only is Jesus Christ the cosmic ruler, he is also, our second point, the cosmic reconciler. He's ruler and he's reconciler. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Cross. Why did this cosmic king, Jesus, who was ruler of the universe and heir of all things, why did he become incarnate? Why did he take on flesh and move into the neighborhood? One sentence. To reconcile us to God the Father. Why do we need to be reconciled? Look at verse 21. Paul says about their past and ours, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Paul is saying to us, Paul is saying to the Colossians, Paul is saying to everyone in the universe, without Christ, you are alienated from God, therefore you're hostile in your mind, and the result is you do evil deeds. That's the human predicament. That's the heart of the human problem. In our natural state, we are not reconciled to God. We're His enemies. We're rebels. We live in the world as if God hasn't made it, and we're little gods. And that means we need to be reconciled. It means we're at enmity with the Father. We need to be reconciled to Him. Jesus' atoning work on the cross isn't towards us first. You know that, right? His atoning work is towards the Father first. Because God is just. He's judge. And his wrath against the sinfulness of humanity must be appeased by blood. And so when Jesus sheds his blood on the cross, it's not to us first, it's to the Father. So the wrath and justice and judgment of God can be satisfied by the shed blood of his perfect son, who's the ruler of the universe. And then, and only then, can Jesus look to us, pour his blood upon us, and through faith in him and repentance in him, his blood covers us, and the Father can reach through the cross and reconcile us to himself that's what god does in his love he reaches through the cross of his son and he reconciles us to himself we don't apply for reconciliation we don't ask for it we didn't want it we were alienated from god we wanted nothing to do with him but god in his love sends his son to die on the cross and then through the cross the father reconciles us to himself the force is on god's activity not on ours we're alienated. God is the one who reconciles us and makes us alive in Christ, pours his blood on us, and reconciles us and make peace possible. So let me ask again. Is Jesus adequate? <laughs> is he sufficient? Is he enough? Paul would say the answers are resounding yes. Not only is Jesus the supreme Lord... He's a sufficient savior. It's because of who he is that his work on the cross is sufficient to please God and make reconciliation possible so that we can become God's beloved adopted children, being filled with the spirit and having our names written in the book of life. Our future is secure and certain. Only because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the cosmic ruler who reconciled us to God through the blood of his cross. He's fit for the job. My brothers and sisters, there's nothing lacking in Jesus Christ. Nothing is outside of his reconciling work. So coming back to the problems Paul outlines in Colossians 2, look at what the apostle Paul does. Look back at chapter 2 again and verse 8. Maybe there's a teaching that's coming to the church. Maybe there's someone saying something in your Bible study. Maybe there's a book you're reading that's undermining you a little bit and you're wondering if Jesus is really enough. You know, it's good to have Jesus, but you need to read this book or go to this class and you'll have a little more knowledge. You need a little more power. Paul says in verse 8, chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the element spirits of the world and not according to christ do you see what he's doing he's just told them in chapter 1 verses 15 to 20 everything they have in christ and so now he's saying when you hear teaching you want to measure it against the plumb line of jesus and if it doesn't measure up against the fullness of christ in his person and work have nothing to do with it it's empty and deceitful and it will lead you astray more than that it will take you captive Paul is saying we have fullness in Christ. We have fullness in Him. He's sufficient and adequate. Why would you go on to empty deceit in human tradition and philosophy? He's saying the ruler of the universe is the head of the church. The king of the universe is your king. He's your savior. Yes, He died for the world, but He also died for you. Why are you looking elsewhere? Don't let people take you captive, don't get kidnapped. They offer you freedom, but what they give you is chains. They kidnap you. See what he does? He comes back to Christ. Look at the second warning in verse 16, chapter 2. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Why? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is in Jesus. He's saying, you don't go back to don't eat this, don't drink that, do eat this, don't drink that, follow this Sabbath, this regulation, these rules, Paul's saying, no, 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 those things were a shadow that pointed to Christ. But he has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled all things. We have substance and fullness in him. So it's not about eating. And doesn't he say that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking? It's not about what you eat and drink. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about Sabbath rules and regulations. It's about Jesus, fullness and freedom in him. We have everything in him. Is he adequate? Is he sufficient? Yes, he is. And then verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. What's the problem there? Verse 19. They're not holding fast to the head. This teaching is not holding fast to Jesus who's the head of the church. If you want to be nourished in the faith if you want to grow in the faith, if you want to become mature, if you want to become assured, if you want to have firm ground underfoot in this life, my friends, you have it all in Jesus. He offers us fullness and freedom and substance and everything that we need. He's the anchor. So anytime you hear a teaching, whether it's from the pulpit, in your small group, your one-to-one Bible study, your youth ministry, books you're reading, Christian people you're listening to on the radio. Have your Bibles opened and measure everything against the person and work of Jesus Christ. Does anyone here have a construction background? Do you know what a plumb line is? Does anyone know what a plumb line is? It's that chalk line, right? My dad and I used to, my dad's ability used to do it. You know, you pull one side, there, you go to the other side, you flick up the string it has got chalk and it makes a perfect straight line, right? You'll know if the line is straight, if it measures up against the plumb line. Think of Jesus' person and his work as a plumb line. Measure everything you hear, everything you see, everything you read against the plumb line of his person and work. And if it doesn't measure up, dismiss it. Because these things are not neutral. Paul says they will take you captive. They'll try to empty you. They'll deceive you. And the danger is they're plausible sounding arguments. He says that they're plausible sounding. There's things that mean they got a kernel of truth. They sound good. But measure everything against Jesus in whom we have fullness and freedom. And if it doesn't measure up, have nothing to do with it. Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. They promise fullness, but they're empty. They promise freedom, but they kidnap you. They promise you life but they lead to death. I began this sermon, and I want to close it asking the same question I asked you at the beginning. What is your anchor? Who is your anchor? Who is your cornerstone? Where do you place your security or confidence? Maybe it's education. Maybe you've got a good education. Maybe you've got a good mind. You've got good intellectual abilities. And your education and your good mind is your anchor for life, right? So when you're on the boat of life and you're on the sea and you you know the waves are coming, you you throw your your education, your abilities overboard like an anchor and you think, well, I've I've got a good mind and a good education and and that education I have and those intellectual abilities I have, that's my anchor for life. That's what's going to see me through life. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're really good with money. You've been blessed with a good paying job or a good inheritance. You've got a healthy bank account and lots of investment funds. And you think, hey, this is my security. I've got security now. I've got a good bank account. I've got security when I retire. I'm, I'm, I'm set for the rest of life, okay? And so that's your anchor. And so you throw that anchor overboard in your, in your life. And you say, as I go along the boat and I hit the waves and rocks of life, no problem. I've got good finances. Those will keep the boat straight. Everything's fine. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you think, my family is everything to me. I've got a good family life. And as long as I've got my family, I'll throw that one over in the water. That's my anchor. And my family's going to see me through all the hardships of life. Maybe it's your career. You've got a wonderful career. You're very good at your career. You've excelled in your job. You're well-recognized. You've made lots of achievements. And my career's my anchor. So I put my career as the anchor overboard. And that's what's going to carry me through life. Can I tell you something? Education, finances, family, career, all good things nothing wrong with any of those things but they're not anchors we think they are we think they are don't we don't we because we've had some successes with them right Family's a good thing Education's a good thing being good with your money is a good thing having a career is a good thing they're all fine things but they're not anchors they're weighty but they don't go to the bottom and anchor you to a rock they're not strong enough they're not eternal education family career finances are all transitory aren't they they don't last and what happens is you'll hit the storms of life and sooner or later those things you thought were anchors will float to the surface and that's when the moment of terror comes you know what i'm talking about don't you and you say oh dear i'm in trouble now And all these things I thought were anchors, I'm looking over, they've flown into the surface. They're not carrying me. What do I do now? You need Jesus. (laughs) He is your anchor. He is your cornerstone. Because he's ruler and reconciler. This is why Peter, in his sermon on Pentecost, said this. Jesus Christ has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus is the anchor. The cosmic ruler. The cosmic reconciler. He and he alone is your anchor. He is the one who's going to see you safely from conversion to glory. So put your trust in nothing else and no one else. Except the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing the perfect song to close the service, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Thank you, whoever chose that song. It's perfect. But let me quote you some words from a favorite hymn of mine. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. All on, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, with Paul, we acknowledge that you are the cosmic Christ. The ruler and king of the universe for through you by you and for you all things were created in heaven and on earth. We also recognize with Paul that you are the king of this church. You are our king and more than that you're our reconciler and that through your blood shed on the cross we are reconciled to God the father almighty. We praise You and thank You, Jesus, for who You are and for what You have done. We pray now that in this very moment in time, You would help us to anchor our souls and our lives on You, on who You are as our Lord and what You've done for us as our Savior. Help us to trust no one else and nothing else but You. Help us, Jesus, to come to You empty-handed, with naked trust, casting our souls and our lives on you. Knowing that you are adequate and sufficient and all-powerful to carry us from conversion to glory. And when we hear teaching inside the church and outside the church, help us to measure all of the gate against the plumb line of who you are and what you have done so that we would stand firm, and steadfast, and stable, mature, and fully assured. And we ask it in your mighty name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church.